0: Elohim, et Hashemay, Vayet, Shemot Bene Israel, haba'im Mitraema, Etia Akov, Ish Ubekra, El Moshe, Voy Adonai, Eilev, Meohel, Moed, Lemoy the bear Adonai, El Moshe, Bami Bar Sinai, Beohel, Moele, Hatevarim, Asher, the Bar, Moshe. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you believed Moses, challenging words to the hearers of Yeshua's day. But what about today, perhaps equally as challenging, as Christians and Messianic Jews alike often find the Torah of Moses difficult to penetrate, to follow, to understand, and apply. Following the traditional weekly Torah cycle, we'll consider each portion in light of Messianic faith, just as Yeshua said, for he wrote of me. So let's consider the heart of the Torah. Shalom, friends, and welcome to Messiah in Life. This week being recorded from a very windy and snowy upstate New York. So you might hear a little bit of wind in the background, but that just adds a little bit of power to the words that are being spoken. And it's still a little chilly out as it is winter here in upstate New York. So bear with me as we work our way through this portion. The portion this week is Vaera and it comes from Exodus 6 and verse 3 when the Lord says Vaera I appeared I appeared to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty but by my name YHWH the Lord I did not make myself known to them And of course we know just by reading in the Torah scroll that Abraham called upon the sacred name, the holy name of the Lord, the yod vav But the meaning of it will be revealed to Abraham's descendants. They knew God is El Shaddai, God Almighty, God my provider. But the children of Israel will see him as not only provider, but deliverer. So what does that mean? Well, as we turn to this week's portion, I'm going to begin reading in chapter 7. But this portion begins the foundational story of the Jewish people. It is referenced in the blessings for the holidays, the blessings for Shabbat, the underlying basis for some of the commands of the Lord. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage and so on. So it plays that fundamental role in the identity of the Jewish people, but also the identity of the believer, the Christian believer, the messianic believer, the disciple of Messiah. It's very important that we remember and understand this specifically when we think of the book of Revelation, because there are so many parallels from the book of Revelation back to the Exodus narrative. I want to begin reading in chapter 7 and verse 8 of Exodus. We read, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, also did the same by their uh, secret arts. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This idea of hardening, what was happening here? Why did the Lord... Permit this to happen. What, what is the reason behind this? How is it unfolding in this manner? Why is it unfolding in this manner? We read in Exodus seven and verse three, or we read in Exodus seven verse three, "Vaani lev paro," and I will harden or make difficult the heart of Pharaoh. Now, when we consider the sign that we just read, this miraculous sign, this miraculous demonstration of the Lord's power, it seems a little unusual. A rod turning into a snake and then a staff consuming another staff. But in ancient Egypt, gods were visualized. They were personalized. They were personified in known representations. So, there's an ancient midrash, an ancient teaching of the rabbis that say Pharaoh was worried as he witnessed Aaron's staff swallowing the staffs staves of the magicians. So the question would be why? Well, Aaron's staff didn't plump up. It had no visual signs of being full. So from that idea, they go a little bit further. Now the uh, the snake was a visible representation of the goddess Wajit and it was a sign of protection that the Egyptian gods of which, of course, Pharaoh was one and Wajit was one, they would ensure Pharaoh's sovereignty, his authority, because Pharaoh as a god would ensure that himself as his court around him would as well, but also those imaged gods would. But the Lord sends Moses and he sends Aaron into Pharaoh, really to swallow up his protection, his authority, his kingship. And Pharaoh was concerned as he looks at this, he's concerned because in his mind, that staff of Aaron was also a sign of authority. And that sign of authority may very well swallow up Pharaoh's throne. So the throne of Pharaoh was not only a representation of his authority and his power, but also his legacy, who he was, who he would be remembered as. But when we consider the sign miracle, this, was, this would be a sign that the Lord had sent them in. The Torah makes it clear that there's nothing special about the staff becoming a snake. There's nothing special about this miracle. There's nothing unique about it, as even the Egyptian pagans could do this trick, we might say. But when the rabbis look at this, they see it as a message, They interpret as a message and they they go to Ezekiel. They rely upon the words of Ezekiel from chapter 29, verse three, and then six through seven to understand the purpose behind this miracle and what it was saying to Pharaoh. As we read in Ezekiel, son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams that says my Nile is my own. I made it for myself. Then all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord because you have been a staff of reed to the house of Israel. When they grasp you with the hand, you broke and tore all their shoulders. And when when they leaned on you, you broke and made all their loins to shake. See, the miracle was not to overwhelm or impress Pharaoh, but to send a message. So in Exodus seven twelve, Aaron's staff swallows up the Egyptian sna- staffs. I think we often read it as Aaron's serpent, Aaron's snake, swallowing up the Egyptian snakes. In our mind, that's what we're, we're envisioning. But the language changes. It changes from staff to serpent and then back to staff. But stabs uh, don't have mouths. So, the rabbis see this as a nas, a nas batachnas, a, a sign, a miracle within a miracle. A miracle, a nas within a miracle, a sign miracle that was not about the rod to a serpent, but having the rod swallow the rod as this was something only the the Lord could do. This was a miracle that only he was able to do. So, the miracle was within the miracle. The miracle was within the sign. And that sign that was the miracle that would be a sign to Pharaoh was something that his magicians could not do. So, this was the message that was being given. And Part of the reason why Pharaoh became so hardened is what he is seeing. In Hebrew, of course, when he is thinking about his legacy, he's thinking about his throne, he's thinking about his authority, his power, his right, his privilege. So in Hebrew, the throne is kiseh. We think of it as a seat, and it's become to mean a seat. But its original meaning was that of a it was that which covered the seat, meaning the the covering or the canopy. And it comes from the root kase, meaning to plump or to clothe, to clad or to cover. So Pharaoh's desire to protect his throne and his legacy closed his ears to the word of God, hardened his heart and ultimately destroys the very legacy that he was attempting to protect himself. So in the unfolding narrative of Exodus, the Exodus from Egypt, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is mentioned no fewer than 20 times. And rabbinic sources note that during the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardened or strengthened his own heart. And during the concluding plagues, it was the Lord who hardens Pharaoh's heart. And when we look at the text, the Torah uses three different Hebrew verbs to describe this hardening of Pharaoh. We have kazakh, kazakh, to strengthen, kasheh, to harden, and kavod, to make heavy. Many of you are familiar with that, kavod, as the glory of God, kavod meaning to make heavy, to make fat. So the Hebrew verbs used concerning the hardening of Pharaoh's heart during the plagues can be understood in the following way. So the, the usual verb describing that hardening of his heart is kazak, to strengthen as he strengthens his resolve to face the enormity of the event, of the events that are befalling his nation. He sees what's happening and he strengthens his resolve. He's going to face this. He's not going to allow this to overcome his nation. And as the plagues continue, however, the Torah recognizes the change in Pharaoh. It's a wavering. And here we find the Lord's intervention to strengthen Pharaoh, Chazach. It's used again as Pharaoh was strengthened by the Lord. But why? Why during the final five plagues does the Lord strengthen Pharaoh's heart for him? Well, this is to ensure that his free will was intact. That what he set out to do, he would have the strength to do. But the Torah also uses kasha, meaning to harden. And that supports the view that Pharaoh was also hardened as judgment for refusing to let Israel go during those first five plagues, when he hardened his heart, when his ears were closed to the word of God. So when Pharaoh's heart is described as kavad, heavy, it suggests that repentance was withheld from Pharaoh as an act of judgment, but also an act that ultimately leads to his destruction. Paul draws upon this imagery, imagery in Romans, in Romans 9 specifically, to illustrate the sovereign will of God according to his working of grace among the elect or the chosen. Yet the language of hardening applied to Pharaoh in Paul's argument is confusing when it seems to be applied to Israel. Now, Paul suggests that Israel was hardened in part due to their pursuit of a works-based righteousness, we might say today, thereby missing the goal of the Torah, as he says in Romans ten four. Yet the hardening of Israel is not unto destruction. Pharaoh's hardening was unto destruction, and that of his army. But Israel's hardening is unto salvation, and we read that of that of that in, in Romans eleven twenty six. So the Lord told Pharaoh. I will let you stand for this reason. I have let you stand for this reason, to show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed throughout all the earth. And that's an important point. So with Israel's rejection of Messiah and his first coming, as the Apostle John tells us in the first chapter of his gospel, the Lord's name would spread throughout all the earth. In that rejection, the gospel goes out. We see the apostles going out to the nations, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, out to the nations and and bringing in, and as Paul will say, provoking to jealousy, just as the Lord said in Deuteronomy. So there'll be a faithful remnant among Israel, those who were remaining faithful and that they, would become really messengers, messengers of the Messiah, apostolos. So as compared to Pharaoh, whose hardening, um, uh, when we look at the hardening, the message of the hardening, Scleruno indicates a hardening or a affirming or a strengthening of his hardened stubbornness. The callous that developed over Israel is covering a wound for the purposes of healing, not resistance. And this is the heart, the difference between how Paul is presenting, presenting the hardening regarding Pharaoh and the hardening in part that comes over Israel. Paul does not describe Israel with that word, sclereno, scleruno, excuse me, the hardened or the difficult but rather, poro, a scab, protected for healing. And this indicates that they there is a process of healing that is happening. That something is covering a wound in order that Israel, after the flesh, would be able to recover from that wound. And the, the wound would be made whole, the flesh would be intact, and that healing would return. So what's the point? Well, many today have hardened their hearts, not just among Israel, but also among the nations. And they've closed their ears to what the Lord is doing among his covenant people. There's so many negative sources of news today. We can't turn anywhere without there being an equal and opposite negative news source. And the people are earnestly attempting to preserve their own legacy, their own place in history. That seems to be what many people are doing today is preserving what they see as their lasting legacy. And this leads to a hardening and ultimately to destruction. So there's something very similar happening among people today as was happening, obviously not to the degree of Pharaoh, but to the same end. So the author of Hebrews writes this today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. And he continues that we need to trust the power of God's word and the promise of God's word. Because we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us and with our weakness. And as he writes, as the author of Hebrews writes, Hebrews writes, therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in time of need draw near to the place of covering. So here we see a slight change in our understanding of what we are fleeing to what we are going to go forth with boldness to that throne of grace, to that covering of grace, to that covering of grace that we find through the blood of the Passover lamb, Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus. So, Pharaoh attempted to do it on his own. He wanted to preserve his own legacy. And then what happened was fear and anger and bitterness overcame him in his pursuit of that enduring legacy and that control over his legacy and his life. So, we are witnessing this among many who are called disciples and Messiah today. Because in some re- some way and some, for some reason, we are trying to preserve our own legacy. We are trying to be someone. We are trying to make our name great rather than as the Lord has said that he will make his name great among the nations as the message of the gospel goes forth. So as we endure in this age, we're here on assignment as I like to say all the time. But let hardness, let the, let the hardness that may come let that fall by the wayside let whatever wound is there that we desire to heal by our own means in order for us to preserve ourselves let that hardness let that wound heal by the grace of god not by our own will because if we do that if we attempt to heal ourselves according to our own will that will lead to bitterness to develop bitterness, to enter into our heart and to other trials that we lead ourselves into. But the wounds of living in a fallen world, the wounds that come because we are on mission, we're on the path, we're along the way, we're following the Messiah, the wounds that we find along the way as we're trusting in Him, those wounds will be covered over and protected and healed according to His grace and His mercy and His love as He leads us along to make His name great among the nations, ultimately leading to that place, that time that we see in Revelation 7-9, where every people, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will be gathered before the throne, those who have been redeemed, harvested out of the nations to celebrate, to worship and to praise and to glorify God. And that is a beautiful picture of the one new man of the Messiah, how he is bringing together those who were far off, those who were near, bringing them to himself as we press on into that throne of grace and being covered by God's grace and trusting in his grace and his mercy. If we try to protect ourselves in a manner that is preserving our legacy and what we want to be remembered for, ultimately we will find the hard way of destruction. The hardness of heart that closes our ears to what the Lord wants us to do and how he wants us to walk and how he wants us to be present in the lives of others around us. So this miracle that we began this study with, the sign miracle wasn't to impress Pharaoh because he wasn't impressed. It wasn't to show a miraculous power because the magicians of Egypt did it themselves, but it was to turn the table on Pharaoh and show that his, his magicians could not copy the power of God. Of course, and that is the authority that Aaron walked in, which itself is the authority that God sent him in with. So it is the Lord's authority that is swallowing up the falsehood of Pharaoh's authority. And this gives us that miracle within the miracle that points us to a miracle that only the Lord God can do. So if we are a Pharaoh in our own lives, Let us look at this miracle and say, Lord, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I give over. Lord, teach me to walk. As we pray every day in the Lord's prayer and the disciples' prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that prayer, I pray, will keep the Pharaoh of our old man in subjection to the new man that is being conformed to the image of the Messiah. Let us not be fat according to our own legacy and our own deed, but let us be covered and filled with the Holy Spirit as we do the work of the ministry that the Messiah has called us to, as he is leading us ultimately to himself when we meet him on that glorious day in the air when he returns for us. So friends, I hope and pray that there was some bit of encouragement in this for you this week. There is a lot in this portion to consider as you go and study it for yourselves. Seven of the ten plagues each of those miracles that happen and look for the pattern. Look for the pattern that you'll find as you read through the plagues and see how the Lord begins to make a distinction between Egypt and his people and understand how that distinction in Egypt will speak to the distinction that we find in Revelation. So I hope and pray as you study this week, the Lord will speak inspiration to you as you read these words that we've read, many of us have read for many, many, many years, but we know there's always something new to find, new to see, new to drink into our spirit in a manner of speaking that helps us to walk in this way that God has called us to in this age It's not Moses and Aaron that are here. It's not Ezekiel or Elijah or Elisha that are here. It's not Paul. It's not Peter. It is you and I here in this time. What a blessed privilege and and humble honor that is. So as we go our way this week, I hope and pray that you are blessed. And I pray that no matter where you are, you always remember that the Lord is with you. He is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So until next time, my friends, I pray the Lord's blessing for each of you. May the Lord bless and keep each of you in the mighty name of Messiah Yeshua, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening.